0: Hey, corn growers, welcome back to Keeping It Independent, a podcast, of course, brought to you by Wiffles Hybrids. My name's Eric Wilson, agronomy manager at Wiffles, and I've got Jared Goplin, my counterpart to the north, also agronomy manager at Wiffles today. We finally got some rain that came through, uh, especially the parts of the corn belt that needed it, Iowa and Illinois, over this last 4th of July weekend. We're going to talk a little bit about some rootworm activity that we're seeing out there today, uh, especially in some places where we have seen some fairly low pressure previously. So some things we want to bring to your attention. Uh, We are going to touch on the wildfire smoke and what that has or what we suspect is having an effect on the crop. And then uh, we did get a general question in from our uh, email, agronomy at wiffles.com about short corn uh, tasseling and what we can expect for Uh, outcomes on that as we get close to harvest. So uh, with that last round of storms, we did get some wind damage. I think that's what we're going to talk about first, right, Jared? So some questions have come in on uh, root lodging. Uh, I think root lodging has been the topic at hand for the most part. I haven't heard too much about green snap, uh, but definitely a lot of questions on root lodging and what we can expect uh, as we get into grain fill stages for yield outcomes.
1: Yeah, there's been a few pockets that uh, I guess I've been saying they've had to pay for the rain. I know there's a few pockets in the regions that I cover. And, of course, that doggone uh, derecho-looking thing on radar that we've uh, seen every year the last few years, it seems like, we're nice long storm that uh, that comes with a lot of wind. So, uh, you know, I know parts of Illinois and you know a lot of different areas have seen some some wind damage, some hail. Um, you know, that's where this question comes up a lot. You know, what can I expect from, you know, root lodging, hail damage. And, uh, and then green snap, you know, there's kind of three different things that come with that, that wind storm. And, and I guess I've seen it all, uh, just thankfully in some smaller pockets in in the, the areas that I cover, but, uh, typically, you know, pre-tassel root lodging is not a huge concern. I know that was a uh, one where we had a uh, Wiffles work site training site in Southwest Minnesota last year that it honestly looked like you took a, a bean roller over that field. And it was probably about the V11 stage somewhere in there. And uh, and that stuff uh, uprighted itself very well, and and honestly, at uh, at harvest time, you almost couldn't tell, uh, you know that it was basically laying flat after a uh, a windstorm. I think that was right around the fourth of July last year. So, uh, pre-tassel, you know, root lodging is something we can handle pretty easily, um, without seeing significant reductions in yield. Um, you know, once we get to pollination or beyond, that's where our concerns go up quite a bit. Uh, if you have it right around pollination, you know, you can, then. You know that's kind of where the 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 concern is the greatest, I guess, because you can actually affect uh, you know seed set and pollination itself. Um, but for the most part, you know, a lot of this corn when it when it did have some root lodging was you know uh, pre-tassel or maybe just starting to tassel. Uh, you know, but uh, most of the stuff I think is going to be, be in pretty good shape there, uh, based on that root lodging. And in a lot of cases, it's better than the alternative, which is which is green snap at that yep. stage.
0: A, a lot of what I was seeing, in Goplin, was um, you know I, I would say we were two, two, maybe three leaves away from tasseling, um, you know, so we're still got some active growth. And I, I, I like to remind guys, as long as we've got a couple leaves to tassel yet, those do, you know, they, they usually upright themselves pretty well. You see minimal uh, yield loss um, at least what I've seen in the past when you have situations like that. And that also helps with pollination, as long as they can stand back up, Uh, to pollinate. We don't usually see those pollination issues. It's like you said, it's when it's happens after or right at pollination.
1: Yeah. And I guess the, you know, pre-tassel, you know, that, that stock, that stem is still elongating. So you still have some capacity for that stem to upright itself. Kind of like you said, Eric, um, you know, when we get to ta- beyond tassel, you know, that's where that stem becomes much more rigid and and you really lose that ability to upright itself and gooseneck upwards. And, and that's where you run into some, some concerns there where the, you know, if the corn can't stand back up, then the leaf orientation is all, you know, kind of wrong to capture sunlight. And, and that's where you get into to issues with yield reductions, um, you know, kind of ballpark, you know, 10 to 30%, um, you know, uh, yield reductions for, for root lodging at pollination or after, um, kind of a ballpark area obviously it can depend on how severe that is uh because at the end of the day if you do have root lodging it is disrupting you know water uptake and nutrient flow uh in that soil you know if you pull those roots out uh, at least on the kind of on the upwind side um of that plant you know obviously you're going to affect some things there in the in the short term but those roots will will keep growing and and develop typically that root lodging comes with some rainfall you know so we have good conditions then following to to get those roots to keep growing and I know that's some of the the issues in, in some areas is, you know, with that upper soil being dry, uh, we didn't have great nodal, you know, our crown root development, which, you know, makes it a little bit more prone to, to root lodging there as well.
0: Things were very mm-hmm. mellow and then the the rain came hard and fast and uh, like I said, kind of just pushed things over. But that that is also a good situation for root regeneration, get those roots growing again, um, hopefully alleviate some of those nutrient uptake issues that we have been seeing early season still got a little bit of time yet so
1: you know in 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 any of these areas where you did have root lodging kind of a a teaser i guess to the the corn rootworm topic here in a little bit but um you know pull a couple plants just to see if there was some feeding uh you know over the weekend we had just not a ton of wind but uh some field edges that did uh, have a little bit of lodging and and there was some root feeding you know whether it was rootworm or uh you know white grub something like that you know in some of those field edges uh there is some other things that can be going on below ground and if you do see some lodging uh it does help to to get out there and, and take a look do a little investigating to see what's going on absolutely the other thing that uh, comes up, you know, is green snap. Uh, you know, that's where I'd typically, you know, that pre-tassel time frame, you know, I'd way rather have some root lodging than, than green snap. Uh, green snap is one of those kind of kind of goofy things where, you know, it just is really dependent on the the stage of the crop, uh, you know, and, and it's it's typically very variable throughout the field, depending on where you get you know, downbursts and different things. Uh, again, you know, we're, we're most sensitive, you know, right in this time frame, just pre-tassel, uh, if you think about what that corn plant has done in the last couple of weeks, uh, you know, it basically has, has shot up, you know, several feet uh, very, very quickly. And uh, this whole green snap thing, you know, at this stage, I always think of, you know, if you put up a scaffolding, um, you know, it's really easy to get the scaffolding really tall in a hurry. And you put all those sections on top of each other and it gets really tall in a hurry. But um, if there's even a slight wind before you get those cross bracing, uh, that cross bracing in, it's pretty easy to topple that scaffolding over and uh, that's basically what the corn just got done doing it it just shot up really quickly, and uh you know it, depending on the stage if it hasn't gotten some of that cross bracing into that stock to to really make it more rigid uh, that's where we we do get a lot more uh, sensitive to green snap or brittle snap uh, at that stage so kind of the worst possible timing to get some wind um, but uh you know hopefully you were in that uh, the situation where you didn't have uh, too much green snap. Um, you know, that was for the most part, there's been very, very low levels of green snap that I've seen, at least in the areas of, of my territory that have that have gotten some wind. So uh, and, and some of that marginal a couple percent, the worst field I've seen so far is about five percent. And and really, there's going to be very little yield reduction, uh, if any, uh, due to that, because those those neighboring plants, you know, pre-task, they're going to be able to compensate pretty well for uh, for some of that green snap that is out there.
0: We got uh, you know, I always talk about hail too with some of the summer storms. Again, I, I I didn't get a lot of reports on hail. Um, I guess I haven't talked to Ryan across the river in, in uh Illinois. He might have got some, but um, you know, and we can plug this in the in the chart. There's a very nice chart showing hail reduction uh based on percent defoliation and yield loss estimates for that's from the USDA. Uh, we can put that in there, a link under the podcast. And we can put uh, a couple charts in that we have for green snap and and writ uh, lodging too.
1: Yeah, hail damage is one of those, you know, right after the hail storm, things always look really ugly. Um, you know, I think a lot of the hail uh, that there is, that did get hail. There was at least a couple of leaves. Most of the, the hail that I've seen, you know, about four or five leaves pre-tassel. Um, so that's where, you know, sure, the leaves that were out, you know, took the brunt of it, you know, certainly plenty of defoliation there. But, you know, we still got four or five new fresh leaves that were, were really undamaged. So, you know, if you wait a couple of weeks, that's one of the reasons why the hail adjusters, if you do have hail insurance, uh typically won't even come out to the field. I think it's like ten days afterwards. And ten days. And it, yep. <laughs> and it's just because uh, you know, the the crop's gonna lo- look a lot different in ten days. Uh, you know, we still have concerns about stem bruising and things, you know, can lead to some stock quality and things maybe later in the year. But uh if you've got uh you know an undamaged growing point and those leaves uh, that are in the whirl are still relatively un- untattered, um, you know, it's it's uh it's kind of amazing what a crop can do or what you can do to a corn crop. Um you know, as long as it's got some leaves that are uh, that are unaffected, that are still going to come out of that whirl. So, but yeah, that chart is a good kind of uh, at least ballpark figure to give you an idea of of uh, what kind of yield potential you can expect out of some of these fields.
0: We kind of mentioned earlier. Should we talk about corn rootworm? I can take a stab at that one.
1: Yeah, it's your favorite topic. Why don't you? Yeah, give yeah. Give us it's, an update. What do you fe- What
0: are you seeing? It's another one that continues to follow me around, uh, kind of like the drought. But maybe we're finally breaking out of that one. So, um. No doubt we had early season, early dry conditions uh, last half of May into June for the majority of June. So a reminder, that's, you know, that's when corn rootworm larvae are hatching. Uh, That gives them an ideal environment for survival. Uh, And what we would expect when we have years like that, and and so far we have been seeing it, uh, we would expect very good survival and higher pressure levels. Uh, And I would call out, I have, I've seen some pretty significant corn rootworm feeding already. uh, And I've kind of seen it. um, I've seen it on all trait platforms, to be honest. Uh, Now that that doesn't necessarily mean the traits aren't working. Uh, I want to be very clear on that. The traits do work, but uh, unfortunately, I think we're setting up ourselves for a situation, especially in some of these known high pressure areas where um, we just have, even higher pressure than usual. So, you know, for those traits to work, uh, those larvae have to chew into that root. They have to take a bite. Uh, and then they either, you know, get poisoned or starve to death, depending on what, what that mode of action is, but they do have to feed on that root. So when you have, you know, one corn rootworm larvae feeding versus a couple million, if you want to think about it that way, um, under high pressure situations, you, you can see some very significant rootworm feeding. And the, the season's been very conducive to uh, larval growth, larval survival. Um, and it's also not been conducive up to this point, unfortunately, for root regeneration. So you got to have moisture in the soil. Uh, you can get some of those roots to regenerate. And no doubt, back to that topic, you know, we were just talking about root lodging. A big storm is often when you expose a rootworm issue, right? Because you, you see the lodged corn. Uh, You see something, you know, across the road that maybe is standing fine. Um, And often it can be differences in cropping systems. You know, field A is long-term corn on corn, has significantly higher rootworm pressure. Uh, Field B is rotated or maybe second-year corn or or whatever the situation is. Uh, So those windstorms definitely expose some of those issues that uh, they probably lurk around every year if we're being honest with ourselves, but you know, a lot of times we, we notice them more in a dry year, especially when we get some of these wind events. So I would second what Jared said. Um, If you've got some lodged fields, you know, go out, grab a stock, pull it up. Uh, If you've got significant rootworm feeding, you know, it's generally pretty easy to pop those things right out of the ground. It doesn't take much effort at all. So Definitely want to be on the lookout for that. And here again, you know, it, it, it's not that the traits aren't working. It's just that we are. We probably have very, very high pressure levels this year, um, as I suspect we will probably prove as we get our sticky traps put out. Uh, there's a plug for our sticky trap program. Uh, anyone listening, if if they want to be a part of that, reach out to anybody at Whiffles. We have sticky traps available. You can put them out in your fields. Uh, that is an invaluable tool. Especially when trying to make decisions going into next year, because it gives you an idea of what you have for pressure out there this year, uh, what you can expect going into next year and help you make some decisions on, um, you know, what kind of trade platform, what kind of management decisions do I want to make for corn rootworm next year if we're going back to corn.
1: Yeah, I have gotten, uh, you know, there's a few areas that have really high pressure, you know, some long term corn on corn acres, uh, you know, I've heard some guys putting traps out already, and there's already quite a few beetles flying around. Um, you know, which is a little bit earlier than normal uh, for, for us, but uh, then again, we're a couple hundred GDUs ahead of normal as well. So everything kind of is sped up. So, um, you know, typically we like to get our sticky traps out there around the 4th of July, um, you know, timeframe. And I think that's still, uh, you know, pretty accurate i guess this year to get them out there if you are going to do some trapping and it is a good time too when you're out putting sticky traps just try and yank up a couple of corn plants even if you don't have a shovel you know if those corn plants come up pretty easily it's a kind of a good quick way to at least evaluate that and and kind of a reminder uh you know in a dry year uh what is it, about two or three of those crown roots so typically a corn plant will have about 30 crown roots uh, give or take uh, if we lose about two or three of those in a dry year we can see yield reductions from corn rootworm uh, in a wet year, you know, more of a normal year, uh, t- only takes about five before we can see some some reductions in in uh, yield there uh, with corn rootworm feeding. So just kind of as a ballpark there.
0: Definitely show up earlier. And, uh, you know, I'll say I generally don't like to use scare tactics for things like this, but I, I will call out an area, uh, you know, southwest Iowa. I'm getting some reports of corn rootworm feeding. And traditionally that has not been a problem corn rootworm area for us. So, you know, it's not rotated acres, it's, it's continuous corn acres, but, um, I would, I would say for everyone, especially if you're doing continuous corn, uh, it's worth a check, get out there and take a look at some things regardless of where you're at or if you've had issues before.
1: Yeah. Just another, you know, another kind of plug to, again, not to use scare tactics or anything, but uh, I did talk to uh, Bruce Potter, uh, IPM specialist at Minnesota, and, and he has gotten a couple of limited reports in southwest Minnesota on uh, rotated acres actually having some pressure. Um, so possibilities of, of being some, uh, some extended diapause uh, northerns is kind of the current thought. You know, we don't know that for sure, um, but he says uh, northern, the extended diapause, you know, that has shown up, T- typically is is a little bit worse in odd numbered years uh, whether or not that's just a random chance or what if we're still on that trend i'm not sure uh, still a lot of unknowns but just kind of a, a plug to get out there and, and look it doesn't take long to you know try and yank up a, a few corn plants and and if you are seeing something unusual you know let us know it's always nice to know uh, what's going on, on out there
0: all right for our next topic you got you got anything I, I, else you got, i think, you think we you enough, enough, corn so, yeah. Okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So basically check all your fields is what we're saying. <laughs> yeah, better safe than sorry.
1: <laughs> That's right.
0: So uh, on the next topic, I'll say I've done a lot of meetings the last couple of weeks, and I think this topic has come up at every single one of them. And uh, I'm a little tired of talking about it. So I'm going to shove it off on Jared, being that he is from Minnesota and he's neighbors with Canada. And I feel like if anyone can do something about the wildfire smoke, it's going to be Jared. Uh, so the question is, what effect has this wildfire smoke had on our crop this year?
1: <laughs> you saying I should load up the water trailer and head north?
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean you're just you're just right there. It only takes eight hours to get across the state of Minnesota. So <laughs> <laughs> I will say, my four year old keeps asking me, you know, when it's smoky,
1: she's uh, she wants to go see the wildfires. Uh, I'm not exactly sure how you go about doing that, maybe from the air, but, uh, so anyway, I am closer than you. So I guess I'll, I'll take a first stab at it anyway. Um, this is something that came up, I think it was two years ago in 2021. Uh, and of course, at that time I was still working for the university of Minnesota and, uh, had spent some time up in Northern Minnesota. And honestly, there was some, some horrendous visibilities, uh, below a quarter mile. Uh, the one time I was up in the Grand Forks area and, uh, you know, so this wildfire smoke certainly can be a big issue. Um, you know, we have not had that significant of visibility reductions, but, uh, you know, the, the question does come up, especially when you can start smelling it in the atmosphere, you know, it's certainly the top of the mind and on your phone and your weather app, it gives you air quality alerts. It's something we're thinking about and it's pretty obvious. Uh, but really there's about three different things that the smoke can, can cause. You know, the one, you know, it is somewhat similar to some cloud cover. It's going to reduce the sunlight intensity. And that's where a lot of the questions come up. Um, you know, is that reduced sunlight intensity going to, you know, reduce crop yields, and you know, kind of the short answer there is, uh, you know, so far pre-tassel, we can you know really handle a lot in terms of you know cloud cover and different things, uh, without seeing significant yield reductions. So uh, up until that tasseling point, you know, it's really not a concern. It re- we really haven't had smoky enough conditions to cause uh, yield reductions to to yield reductions basically. Um, you know, the bigger concern there with with reductions in sunlight come you know during the grain fill period. Uh, but even then, the, the the smoke intensities that we've had really haven't been probably intense enough. Um, you know, some of the work that's been done in the last couple of years, when this this smoke does show up, uh, you know, looking at sunlight uh, intensities and you know PAR or photosynthetically active radiation, you know, these little sensors they have at some weather stations that that give us an idea how much sunlight's hitting the ground. Um, a lot of those don't reduce uh, the smoke hasn't reduced sunlight that significantly i think it was like 3 to 8% kind of uh for a lot of them um and if we think about like a a partly cloudy day you know i think that reduces sunlight intensity by about a third so uh we're still not even close to even a partly cloudy day a lot of times but what we do notice i would say more so is sort of that diffused sunlight so that's kind of the second thing that the smoke uh, actually can cause is you know that sunlight hits the smoke and it just kind of reflects all over the place uh, and that can actually have a positive effect on on yield, which is, is kind of funny to think about. But, um, you know, I think about, uh, you know, when you're working on equipment, you know, if you break down in the field or something like that and all you got is one little flashlight, it's really hard to see if you get behind the shadows. Uh, and that's kind of, you know, light that isn't being diffused at all. Um, whereas you think about working in the shop or on a sunny day, you know, where you get kind of light that's reflecting off of walls, you know, floor ceilings, and you end up getting light bouncing around. Um, that's kind of diffused sunlight. And, uh, if we think about that similar thing, um, you know, with the smoke and having more diffused sunlight, we actually get better sort of sunlight penetration into the canopy. So if you think about a, a sunny day, you know, kind of similar to that flashlight, holding it up on something you're trying to work on, you know, that corn plant, you know, the, some of the leaves are going to be in direct sunlight. Some of them on the backside of the plant are going to be in shade. Uh, If we have more diffused light, there's going to be more light hitting some of those leaves in the shade, and uh, that's where we can see some, you know, very very slight. It's a couple of percent kind of is the prediction on on yield increase. So uh, for the most part, it's not not like you're going to get you know crazy yields because you have smoke. It's not like that. But I, I would say it's a little bit less concerning uh just because of that diffused sunlight fraction. And then kind of the third thing is, you know, you've had the air quality alerts, uh, you know, ground level ozone. You know, these the, the smoke that's generated has all kinds of nasty stuff in it that reacts and causes ozone. And uh, you know, just like it's it's bad for you and I to to breathe in, you know, it's bad for for plants as well. Uh basically causes, you know, kind of burning type uh symptoms, oxidation basically, if it enters in that leaf. Uh, and that's bad news regardless, um, you know, whether you're a plant or a human or whatever the, the, the case might be. So that's kind of one of the other concerns there. But I'd, I'd say by and large, the stuff that we've had so far um, is certainly not a real big concern. And it's really so far not going to have a, a big impact on yield, I would say.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, th- this is this is shaping up to be like a textbook agron- agronomist answer, if I've ever heard one. Could be good, could be bad. <laughs> yeah, we don't know yet. It's going to shake out at the end of the year. I, I, I guess a couple of things I would add is, you know, I, I could make good argument, especially for us in the South where we've been definitely drier. Um, you could make argument that you know, having that smoke layer is possibly lowering surface temperatures a little bit, um, which I could see being beneficial, especially early season when we didn't have any drought. On the other side of that, you know, scattering sunlight into a canopy, um, and we'll talk a little bit about that at the last question, but scattering more sunlight into a canopy that um, in theory has kind of set itself up here in the South to be less effective during grain fill just because uh, you know, less leaf surface area, less internode spacing, all of that. Um, that could be a good thing at the end of the year. So, um, yeah, I, I guess, I don't know. We'll see how this turns out, you know, just as soon as you, uh, drive up there and get those put out for us, Goblin.
1: <laughs> I'll see what I can do. Yeah, you know, I will say over the 4th of July weekend, uh, at least in, in Southwest Minnesota, we've, you know, the, the skies were clear. We haven't had any smoke. And, uh, I tell you what, that sun is, really intense it's intense Um, so it it kind of was an aha moment for me you know over the weekend sitting out in that sun in the shade it felt great uh but uh man in that sunlight it was really intense and i think the the smoke probably has been lowering that intensity a little bit and we just you know haven't necessarily realized it uh, until you get a good sunny day and 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 you're not sitting in the shade So Eric, this short corn, I know you've, uh, you know, for the most part, the corn here up in the Northern part is I would say regular height aside from some of those light soil areas. Now, as we get closer to tasseling, you know, there's definitely some height variations on the light soil, but, um, you know, how short is your crop down there?
0: Yeah. So persistent early season drought, um, maybe after this episode, we can quit using the drought word. It just needs (laughs) to keep raining. Uh, if you guys have been following along, we've hit on this before you know, what to expect from some of those conditions and and a lot of what we suspected has come to fruition. So internode spacing is very tight. Uh, Leaf number is, you know, essentially the same, but I would say uh, we didn't get as much leaf expansion in in terms of width. So the length is appropriate, but uh, overall we just have less photosynthetic area, uh, shorter plants. Um, some situations in Illinois where uh, you know I'm six three. Uh, we've got about corn that's shoulder high, head high, uh, and it's it's now tasseling. So the question has come in, you know, what can I expect from things like that? You know, I, I would say having shorter plants doesn't necessarily make it a bad thing per se. Or or I would I, let me rephrase that. I wouldn't necessarily expect issues. Uh, just due to the fact that we have shorter corn. Now, does, does that set us up for some things that we want to be mindful of and scouting for as we get into grain fill? Absolutely. Less storage organs for nutrient uptake. Um, in all reality, we probably went through, in some of the drought areas, we probably pushed through vegetative growth stages faster than we normally would, uh, just with that lack of water. So that's you know a shorter time period for nutrient uptake. Uh, water uptake, all those things in preparation for grain fill. Um, You know, just some things that I would keep in my mind as we get into grain fill is uh, we have less capacity for photosynthesis because, you know, leaf area is smaller. Um, We probably have stored less nutrition in that plant. Uh, And if, you know, things turn around now and we continue to get some good rainfall, uh, get some good sunlight, that crop is going to do everything it possibly can to make as much grain as it possibly can. Uh, So what I've seen in in years previous in some of those situations is, uh, you know, it will do that even at the expense of cannibalizing itself in the stock late season uh, to fill that ear. So I I don't want to call it a watch out because in the end, it's a good thing because it means we're getting yield. Uh, But it, it just means that we should probably spend a little more time in our fields this year, you know, checking for stock quality, checking uh, disease pressure, especially tar spot. Now that we've got some rain across the Southern Corn Belt, uh, those were all things that I would be on the lookout for. Uh, And I would, you know, if we were on the fence about making fungicide applications before, uh, I would definitely move that towards the top of my list now that we have gotten some rain because we do have good conditions for disease development now. I'm starting to see some more dew in the mornings. Um, we've got good full canopy closure, although it, you know, it is short, um, but, uh, all the conditions are perfect for disease to get a foothold and and take off, whether it's tar spot or gray leaf spot or, 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 what have you. Right. So, um, those that were on the fence about fungicide, I would, I would definitely, you know, give that a second thought and some reconsideration, um, because I do think there's some benefits to that as as we sit right now, um, not only yield benefits, but definitely from a uh, stock quality standpoint and and buying you, uh, I guess, a wider harvest window is how I would describe it.
1: I guess trying to find the silver lining, you know, the shorter the shorter plants might have helped out, you know, with this wind that came yep. through. You know, say you were a foot shorter, you know, you do catch a little bit less wind. So, you know, there is a potential silver lining there with uh, just being a little bit shorter with some of these storms that might have either passed through or, or hopefully we don't get any more. But, uh, you know, certainly it could help out in some of those scenarios, too. And maybe if uh, if you don't have a high high clearance sprayer, maybe the corn's actually short enough this year. You can actually get through it uh, with uh, with one of your sprayers.
0: If it's not lodged, if it's not goosenecked, <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, then like you might it's... need a plane. <laughs> like you said, Jared, you got to, you got to pay for rain. You pay the price for rain. And, uh, I've dealt with, uh, talked to a lot of guys about lodge corn, but I would say overall, they're pretty happy uh, with the fact that they got a good shot of rain with it. Um, cause you know, we we were getting close there. If we didn't get some rain, we were going to start seeing some things burn up, you know, at pollination or shortly thereafter. With that, I, I think that's all the topics that we have today. Um, as always, if you guys have any additional questions, uh, you know we'd, we'd love to hear your feedback or send us your questions, what's on your mind. Send them to agronomy at um, And stay safe out there. And thanks for listening, guys.